two on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Mike Lefko from 710 ESPN in Seattle is going to join us in just a moment here on the program. Talk a little M's. Maybe we'll throw some Huskies talk his way. Maybe we'll do some Seahawks talk. Who knows? That's why you got to stay tuned and listen to the program. Before we get to Mike, Jason here is going to tell you about this fine studio from which we broadcast. Do you mean the uh, Kintech studio? Is that the one? That's the one. It's Uh, the only one. Yes. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. Mike Lefko, 710 ESPN in Seattle. A Mariners pre- and post-game host joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Oh, good morning, guys. I was going to say, something must be going pretty well if uh, you guys want to talk about Mariners at 7 a.m. on a Monday. So uh, I'm here. I'm awake. And let's do it. Good. We are also here. We are also awake. We, you know, I'd hope so. It's, we were talking about this earlier. From a Vancouver perspective, we've got, I guess, really the best of both worlds because there's a lot of Jays fans mm-hmm. here and there's a lot of Mariners fans here and both are vying for the wild card. The way the Mariners have done this, though, pretty impressive over the last six weeks. So I remember vaguely, uh, it was July 19th. And I think it was a loss to Minnesota that dropped the Mariners one game below 500. And I remember people really griping about this because it was a very underwhelming season at that point. Since then, 22-7. and seven. They've been on an absolute tear, punctuated this weekend by the sweep over the Astros. Uh, what has happened since July 19th, Mike? Well, can I take you guys back a little further? Yes. Because I think true rock bottom, and we were there in the ballpark for this moment, True rock bottom happened June 30th when uh, they proceeded to get smacked by the Tampa Bay Rays, like booed off the field. There was booing in the stands. You don't hear that much from a Seattle crowd, a Seattle baseball crowd, especially in June. So it was, it, it was embarrassing. And I think uh, the players kind of realized that, uh, as the Astros said yesterday, almost a slap in the face. So they get booed off the field. They lose 15-4 to the first game of that series. They find something, and they win. So since June 30th, they're 31 and 13. And then, yeah, since the mark you mentioned there against the Twins, kind of that rallying cry where they found that comeback ability that has been lacking this season until these last few weeks. I mean, that's what was missing early on. They're playing all these close games, and they're not a team that is built to overwhelm with offense. They're going to win with great pitching. They're going to win these low scoring, close games. They were losing all those early in the season. Also, it felt like they were losing every single one of them. But uh, it's just been a, a turn in clutch hitting, timely at-bats, really the whole lineup producing. Yesterday they had a guy named Brian O'Keefe, drove in his first two career RBIs, two huge runs driven in early. So everyone's producing, and they found that spark, something, I don't know, I want to say unquantifiable, that, you know, that clutch gene, but it really has been there since late June or mid-July. I'm just looking back at Julio Rodriguez's uh, game log. And yeah, he was o- he was zero for five in that fifteen uh, four loss to Tampa Bay, and he'd been hitless in the previous two games. Uh, what have you seen out of J Rod? That like what is there anything specific that he's pointed to to explain how he's become so hot? Well, specifically in this last week where he's had this absurd, well, the, the seventeen hits in the four games from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, an MLB record, and then. Only one hit yesterday, you know, quite a slouch yesterday. But he mentioned an adjustment that they had made, and he didn't elaborate, and I don't think they want to go into too much detail, but there was something 
that they definitively adjusted. So I think that combined with Julio starting to realize, okay, I don't have to do it all because this kid has the weight of an entire franchise, of an entire city, and all the pain that goes along with the history of being a Mariners baseball fan. And he was trying to do too much early on. So whatever this adjustment is, uh, I think that certainly helped. But perhaps from the mental side as well, Julio realizing I don't have to be the guy that comes up and hits a home run every single time. And then naturally, he gets in his groove. He you know, stays composed at the plate. It might happen, as it has over these past few games. But that's what it felt like early on. Uh, if you guys remember the end of the Blue Jays series here a couple weeks ago, he had the final out when the Mariners were trying to sweep Toronto. He was at the plate. He had that final out, and it did feel like he was still trying to press. So that was the case for him in a lot of clutch moments this year. But more of reining himself in, not having to be the guy every single time that delivers the key hit, it seems like it's been a massive adjustment. So I'm sure if you're a Jays fan, you're thinking, God, the Mariners will eventually fall back to earth just a little bit. Like they can't stay red hot for the rest of the season. Is there anything out there that's worrying for the Mariners? Are they getting lucky in a sense at all, or are they just dominating teams right now? Well, hey, guys, why does it have to be one or the other? Can't we all just root for the Astros to fall out completely? You know what? That uh, would be we were the, talking that about would be that earlier. Fun. That'd be amazing. That's yeah. the dream scenario right mm-hmm. now. That is the dream. That is the dream scenario. And I, I think they are just uh, imminently hateable. So it would be fun to see them continue to fall. Honestly, I think that, that could happen. If you look at the schedules for the Mariners and the Blue Jays, I mean, the Mariners have a great stretch coming up. They have nine games against the three worst teams in the American League. Starts with the White Sox today. So you go White Sox, Royals, A's. The Blue Jays' schedule, I mean, it's, it's kind of easy as well after you get through Baltimore with uh, Washington, Colorado, and Oakland coming up. So in that stretch, if the Astros are reeling, sure, let's say these two teams jump up there. Houston's going to be in a pretty defining stretch here with seven of their next ten against the Red Sox. So we were kind of talking about that yesterday, that these next four for the Astros against the Red Sox, if they're still reeling, if they can't find whatever that they have lost, I think Houston could fall out of a wild card spot within the next week and then Maybe Toronto and Seattle have enough, have a balanced teams to keep it going forward, and that could be the most likely scenario here with uh, hopefully Houston, their age, all the baseball they've played over the last few seasons finally catches up to them, and uh, they miss the playoffs. We can, we can dream. We can hope. <laughs> We're speaking to Mike Lefko from 710 ESPN Sports Radio in Seattle here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Mike, how often are people referencing that famous 95 Mariners team when talking about this current lot because the one thing I remember about 95 aside from all the great players like Randy Johnson and Jay Buhner and Edgar Martinez and Ken Griffey Jr. was that they were way back way back in the standings that season I think they were 13 games back and they made that famous run punctuated by a Jay Buhner quote I think it was something along the lines of we're not just going to win the wild card we're going to win the division lo and behold the Mariners might be able to do that how often is that 95 team coming up in conversations lately yeah I think I think it's been referenced for about the past three years because in <laughs> uh, 2021, the Mariners had a similar comeback. Now it fell short and they didn't make the playoffs, but that was this surge and with the playoff drought looming. And it's been the thing that has just kind of hung as this huge dead weight over everything. 2020, they referenced it all through 2022 because a similar climb occurred. Uh, the Mariners did their, their, their kind of their comeback early on in 2022 they did it right before the all-star break they went on that 14 game win streak but it was the same kind of thing they were 10 games under 500 in mid-june they had this big surge into playoff contention 
then kind of held on. So it has been that uh, refuse to lose for about three seasons now. And yeah, with the, with the two Texas teams looming, that's gotten a lot more popular over the past couple of days, especially with the Rangers now coming back into the fold because the Mariners right now are only three games out of the division. So now, yes, uh, Jay Buhner has gotten referenced again, uh, especially after this weekend. Mike, can we ask you a few Seahawks and maybe even a Huskies question? Sure, yeah, let's go for it. I mean, uh, it is football season. Yeah. Crazy to think about, but what, are the, here. what are the big debates down in Seattle when it comes to the Seahawks? Are there any uh, particular player battles that we should be paying attention? Yeah, you know what's funny is this preseason has been kind of boring, and I mean that in a good way because there was so much that had to be figured out last year. When you have a quarterback battle and the first quarterback battle in you know a decade – that's going to dominate all the headlines. So that was captivating last season. This year, you know who all your stars are. You know who all your key players are. But the big debate and the big kind of discussion has been uh, around cornerback and around the secondary specifically because the Seahawks drafted a cornerback at number five, the highest they've ever drafted a quarterback, a cornerback. And he's kind of missed some time. Devin Witherspoon dealt with some hamstring injuries, so he hasn't been out on the field. So the talk has been, okay, is he just going to be given a spot? Do you give this guy a starting spot when you have good cornerbacks? Because they had this freakish draft pick in Tariq Woolen last year who was unbelievable. So he's locked in as a spot. You have a lot of corners competing for a position. But the Devin Witherspoon situation has been very interesting. And then figuring out kind of where the pieces around the rest of the defense fit in. Because the defense, it was, uh, it was kind of... You know, it had some holes in it. I'll say that nicely. I don't think anyone's yes. going to say that that's to me. But the run defense was pretty bad last year. So with all the expected firepower on offense, now the focus is, okay, how do they actually shore up this defense? So from the position of where does this high draft pick fit into, does the defensive line actually look a little more stout? And that, those have been the big talking points, I think, of training camp. Well, I mean, the rookies in general, given you know the draft capital that the Seahawks had at the 2023 draft and how well rookies played last year, it feels like it's going to be a similar narrative this year where there's going to be a lot of focus on them. Uh, how good has Jackson Smith and Jigba looked through training camp? Uh, that guy, he, he seems pro-ready, as pro-ready as you can get from a draft pick. And it is hard to tell when you're just going up against half speed or, sure. or guys that, you know, defenders can't. They're going to they're gonna cover you, and they're going to try to knock passes away, and there's going to be some contact, but they can't hit. They can't bump you. They can't be physical. So from what we have seen in a controlled setting like this, it looks like he is for real. He's going to benefit so much from having two good receivers around him because as good as he's expected to be, and you bring him in as a, a first-round draft pick, this is not like a Justin Jefferson or a Jamar Chase situation where he's coming in as already the best receiver on his team. I mean, DK Metcalf is going to take up the bulk of the attention every single game. And then Tyler Lockett, maybe the perennially underrated, just, you know, rack up a thousand yards, you know, a hundred plus catches every year. So with those two taking the majority of the attention, I mean, Smith and Jigba is going to get favorable matchups every time. I think that's where you'll see him benefit in a setting where he doesn't have to be the guy, but he has the talent to be the guy. So on offense, are there any major concerns? Uh, maybe injuries at the running backs. Uh, Ken Walker's been a little banged up and expected to have such a big role where he was just kind of thrust into that unexpectedly last year, but showed that he can handle it. So he, his health going forward and if he is ready for week one and just the whole fickle nature of a running back getting through the entire season, uh, that might be a little 
concern. Zach Charbonnet, their high running back draft pick, who, again, they took in the second round like they do with Ken Walker a year before. Mm-hmm. He was out for a couple weeks with a shoulder injury. So that gives you some pause of, okay, he, he has an injury like that before they even really get into contact. But uh, with that tandem, the hope is, sure, they can hold up and then Geno Smith can take the bulk of the offense. And in year two as a starter, he maybe puts it more on himself to kind of win games they didn't have to win last year. So the defense, uh, give us reason to believe that the Seahawks will actually be able to stop the run this season. Uh, I might still be looking for reasons as well. No, but, uh, <laughs> um, I think you, you look at just hopeful and expected growth in year two for Clint Hurt. So Pete Carroll's defensive coordinator, it was his first time as a coordinator. You know, he's the defensive line coach. He took over as defensive coordinator last year. They implemented a version of a defense they wanted to do. Uh, they call it a 3-4 with 4-3 principles, but, I mean, it's essentially uh, a 3-4 at its base, so three down linemen, and then you have the linebackers coming down to the line of scrimmage anyway. But him learning to kind of dictate all of that, and I, I think Clint Hurd has mentioned this a couple of times early on in this training camp, that there's so much that goes so quickly when you're in charge of everything instead of just one position group. So year two for him, uh, year two for everyone in the system they had, and then going out and finding guys that actually fit what they wanted to do. They had good players, but they might not have been good guys who wanted to do what they needed to. So they got rid of a, a couple of defensive linemen this year. They didn't bring back Kuna Ford and LJ Collier. Instead, they went out and they brought back a guy in Jaron Reed who had been here before mm. and Draymond Jones from Denver. So if those guys are coming here specifically, you'd like to think, well, they're a fit. Hopefully they know what they're doing and they bring them in to shore up that run defense. So I think that uh, having Bobby Wagner back will help. They they only got rid of him because of the price. I mean, it wasn't prohibitive to pay Bobby Wagner nearly $20 million a year. But you get him back here a year later, he still brings that veteran savvy and the knowledge of a decade plus in the NFL. So all those upgrades, you would like to think they would get better because it certainly – was pretty bad at times last year. Yeah, it was dreadful. Um, what's the status That's of Jamal? It. Yeah. Uh, what's the status of Jamal Adams? Uh, that is an interesting question because it's the great unknown. I think so. Yeah, if there's one maybe looming question of training camp and at the start of the season, it is Jamal Adams because his injury it was pretty bad last year. Is that you know that quad in week one? Um, it's been a long timeline and a long process to return, but. He's just, he's never going to get the benefit of the doubt now with fans because the injury label gets attached. Uh, he's a great player. He's a violent, heady player, but he throws his body in there and injuries pile up. So he has not practiced yet. He has not been cleared off the uh, pup list. And now you're getting to the place where, okay, it's late in the preseason. I mean, the regular season's creeping up in a couple of weeks. So it kind of feels like he might start the season on the pup list, you know, miss the first four weeks of the year, and then they have a bye in week five. Mm-hmm. They might not be looking at Jamal Adams until week six. But the Seahawks, I think, kind of knew that as well, and they went in and got a, a guy in Julian Love to shore up that back end. So they have a lot of depth in the secondary right now. They have a few safeties even without Jamal Adams, and it feels like he might not be someone that you expect to start week one, but uh, any contribution he makes could only be a, a positive addition. Let's talk a little bit of Huskies now. Yeah, uh, the Huskies sure. kick off their season Saturday, September second, so that's on Labor Day weekend against Boise State at Husky Stadium. 
the the preseason rankings were in. I think the Huskies were number ten or number eleven. Uh, they yep. got a quarterback in Michael Penix, who might be part of the or is already part of the Heisman conversation. Uh, expectations must be pretty high for this team. Yeah, and what's kind of been a shame is that what has happened recently with the move to the Big Ten has yeah. kind of overshadowed anything for this season. Uh, I think just the entire Pac-12 influx and now basically finished has put uh, a big pall over what should be uh, a really competitive season, not just for UW, but for the Huskies, for USC, for Oregon and Oregon State. So that was that was really this, the gloom that mm-hmm. hung over, you know, Seattle and I think all of the Pac-12 over the past couple of weeks because you are talking about the death of a conference and, you know, the breakup uh, of a rivalry in the Apple Cup that has meant so much to so many people. But, yeah, then you look in the field and you see the – the offense that should be incredibly explosive if it's possible to, to top what they did last year. And I think the expectation has to be Pac-12 title or bust because this is the last year in the conference. This is an offense that returned pretty much every key piece from a year ago. And then kind of with the Seahawks, with that year two of expected growth, well, year two for Michael Penix, year two together with all these receivers – Building off of year one, yeah, the uh, the expectation should be a Pac-12 title. So there's three days in November that a lot of people up in Vancouver are thinking, I should go down to Seattle and watch some sports. Thursday, November 23rd is the 49ers at the Seahawks on Thursday night football. And then Friday night, the Canucks are down in mm-hmm. Seattle to play the Kraken. Oh, yeah. And then Saturday, it's the Apple Cup between the Huskies and and the Cougars, I'm sure it'll be raining very hard for the entire time in November. A little windy. Yeah, little yeah. windy, a little cold. But, I mean, what an incredible slate that would be. Um, where does the Apple Cup go from here? What happens to the Cougs? Like, do they become – if the Pac-12 no longer exists, I like where do they go? How badly does this affect their recruiting? Do they turn into just – another team now or is this rivalry going to survive into the future i think at the outset both athletic directors want it to continue both came out and said the right things because publicly it's not going to be a good look if one of them uh just flat out says no the series is over but there is some bitterness on the, on the side of washington state understandably so because when you have two state universities and one leaves you there's that perception of all right well they're ditching out, we're left behind, and we have to fend for ourselves, and, and that's what's going to happen. Um, Washington State it feels like because they have that pedigree, because they have that history, hopefully they can continue in a sense of maybe they are a, a Boise State or a San Diego State where you're kind of floating out there. You're in a pretty good football conference that could merge together perhaps, but they might be one of these teams where they're that – I don't even know how to describe it anymore. It's not group of five or power five anymore. They're in that definitively – lower tier mm-hmm. but they could be one of the best of that lower tier and as for the apple cup i would think it continues now it's not going to matter as much because it won't be at the end of the season and it's not going to be anything that decides potentially a division or a conference but there is so much history here and everyone in this state they grow up they go to one of these two schools you know you come home you go work in seattle you work somewhere else in the state and you have these historic legacies of generation and generation that grew up rooting for one of these two teams. So there are going to be 
definitive competing interests that pull them apart, but there's going to be a massive desire from everyone in the state to keep this rivalry intact. So you might be looking at like a week two, week three kind of thing in the college football season. And from a pride standpoint, I'm sure it'll be a big deal, but from a, Hey, does it matter for the sake of deciding anything? Unfortunately, that's kind of gone by the wayside. I'm always curious to how developments like this are received locally with the fans and supporters and what have you. Cause you get, I mean, here in Vancouver, we kind of take this outsider's look at what's going on in the uh-huh. shifting landscape of co- collegiate sports, and we're like, "Oh, that's interesting." But I don't, you know, I'm not sure we really understand the ramifications of the impact because you're talking about, in some cases, decades long, God, centuries long yeah. rivalries and history is just being tossed away. And you mentioned, like, honestly, I look at this football season, and I know that there's a lot of great stories on the field, but to me, the biggest story in all of collegiate sports is that everything that we know about it is about to be disrupted. And I'm just curious. I mean, you work at a local sports talk radio station. What has the reception been, I guess, from UW fans and then just sort of general college sports fans at large? Well, and yeah, and that's why it's funny when you guys asked me about Washington season. Oh, the actual season. Yeah, I guess we have to focus on that right. because the potential breakup of all we know about college football looms over all this. Now, once the game starts, it's going to get compartmentalized and college sports fans. And I think you guys know, I mean, any sports fan has a great way of compartmentalizing. You know, there might be off field issues or an owner might be frustrating or a player might have a a little bit of a checkered pass, but when games actually happen, fans have a great ability to compartmentalize. So I do think in a couple of weeks when we're in the midst of a college football season, this will get largely forgotten at the time, but now it does feel like college sports as we know it, is about to end because there's been that balance. There's been enough of, okay, you have five distinct conferences that are all very competitive because they get relatively equal amounts of TV money. But in the next couple of years, when you have a school like UW, who's going to be getting 35 to 40 million a year as a half share of a conference. And then the thought and the hope for the Huskies is that when a new TV deal is reached in this new conference, they'll be getting upwards of 60 million a year. And then a Washington state who might only get $4 million a year from any yeah. kind of TV contract. So TV money is driving college sports, and it's been kind of driving realignment for almost 15 years now. And that's why in that vast disparity of resources, it's going to be almost semi-pro versus schools that don't have the ability to essentially entice players with you know literal ability to pay for them, this name, image, and likeness where you can essentially pay them to come now or just – having the the best of the best in facilities. I mean, these college football facilities are palatial. They are insane what they have there. They're they're nicer than most facilities of uh, pro teams in some places because they just have so much money, so they funnel it back in the athletic department, and you're talking about a massive difference now in the next five years between schools like UW and then a Washington State. Well, it'll all be worth it when we get to see the Huskies play Rutgers for the first time. I think that's going to be a hot rivalry. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. Um, hope you yeah. enjoy. Hope you enjoy uh, the Mariners' run, the start of the Huskies' season, and the start of the Seahawks' season. Maybe we'll check in again a little later with you. I was going to say, we ran the gamut here, so uh, it's been great fun. Let's talk when the Astros miss the playoffs and the Blue Jays and Mariners are both in. Let's do it. Thanks, thanks Mike. Mike. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, Mike Lefko from 710 ESPN in Seattle here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. I looked at a map. Yes, a map. Finally. Uh, yeah, for once. Um, 
I had no idea. <laughs> Did you Still see how north we are? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we're like America's hat. Uh, so the furthest west that any state in the U.S. is to the west coast in the Big Ten mm-hmm. is Nebraska. Yeah. That sucks. I thought I'm would, a West uh, Coast guy through and through. Well, yeah. I like my start times, mm-hmm. 7.30 Pacific time. I don't need a college football game for a team on the West Coast starting at 4.30 in the mm-hmm. afternoon. I'm gonna, I mean, I'm... It's going to be weird, for sure. Uh, Mike Tanner is going to join us next. We'll talk a little NFL on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, your home for Vancouver summer sports talk. Subscribe to the podcast now. Thirty-three on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Glad to be back here. Glad to be back. Air quoting on camera. You can't see that on the radio. It's largely an audio medium. Did you have a good vacation? I, you know what? I really did. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. I had a really good time. Are you refreshed and ready to go? I for... am. How have I done so far? Yeah, you're pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. A little what rusty. A little rusty. Shut up, Greg. <laughs> see? You're right on, right on that. As soon as Greg says something... Calm Shut down, up. Greg. Yeah. yeah, the mood has gone down a lot today from what it was last month. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. I, I heard it was a real laugh factory around here the last few weeks. <laughs> Dodd and I had a lot of fun. We did had you guys have laughs. some good laughs? How yeah, was Jamie? He was great. He's a he's a real pro. You say that all the time. Yeah, what yeah. does that mean? And exactly? mostly only to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are you implying here? He describes Jamie to everyone else. He's always just... he's always prepped and ready to go. He does his reads responsibly. It's great. He described Jamie as less slovenly than the <laughs> other guy. <laughs> Let's go to the phone line, shall we? Our next guest, our NFL insider from The Messenger, Mike Tannier here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well, but I'm not refreshed and back from vacation like you are. I know. It's a nice feeling. I'm not going to lie. You know what? I am happy to be back, though, because I came back at the right time because everything is happening now. The sports are ready to kick off after a long, slow summer. Uh, Before we get into any of that, though, uh, I think... Last time we spoke, uh, you were at a still-to-be-named platform for your your writing, and now you're there at The Messenger. Can you tell us a little bit more about your latest endeavor? Yeah, The Messenger is not just a sports site. It is a full-fledged news outlet where you can get news, business, politics, entertainment, and sports. We officially launched sports on August 28th, but we're doing some sports. My, my walkthrough is back, and it's up there. It is totally free. You can go. You can get their newsletter. Check it out at themessenger.com. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, I was reading about Thank it you. yesterday, so that's great. And, you know, we were talking a little bit of NFL already. We talked some Seahawks, but we also talked about, I guess, the big news of the weekend of the day is that Aaron Rodgers is indeed going to play some preseason action for the Jets. I believe it's on Saturday, and I believe it's against, as a lot of belief in this one, uh, against the Giants. Now, is yep. this – we kind of made the joke earlier that this was uh, Nathaniel Hackett's way of saying, hey – you know, when I tried this last time with Russell Wilson in Denver not playing in the preseason, it didn't go especially well. So maybe just even optically this might make more sense to give Aaron Rodgers even a cursory snap or two for the Jets in the preseason. You know, Nathaniel Hackett does not make any decisions at all. Let's, let's, let's get that out of the way right He's just now. an offensive coordinator. Uh, well, he's not even the offensive coordinator. He's Aaron Rodgers' guy standing next to Aaron Rodgers, his mouthpiece. So if Aaron Rodgers wanted to play in the preseason, and I'm guessing Rodgers wanted a little bit of time, that's what this is. 
And, you know, it's a little odd because the other um, dress rehearsals were this weekend for the most part. But I think we will see a few other starters next week. But this is a Rodgers-led decision. Rodgers will play as many snaps as Rodgers chooses to, to, to play. And, you know, on the one hand, it'll be interesting. I just wonder, like, what would happen one way or the other for us to change what we think about the Jets? You know, if, if Rodgers goes out there, throws three incomplete passes and sits down, we'll be like, oh, well, that's, that's how Rodgers is, you know, in the preseason. He don't care. <laughs> If he throws, like, two touchdown passes, does that really change it? It's like, well, that proves everything. You know, he can go out there when the team didn't game plan. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be very hyped up. It's 6 o'clock Eastern time, by the way, so it's going to be middle of the afternoon your time, and it'll be a big brouhaha, and then I'll be excited to get on with life afterwards. Let's put it that way. Should Aaron Rodgers be concerned about his offensive line? You know, he should be. I think it looked a little better this week. Um, you know, Mekhi Becton, uh, who got hurt in the Hall of Fame game and, and always injured, you know, as a former first-round pick there. He looks like he's playing into shape. Right now they've got uh, Billy Turner playing at right tackle, and that's Aaron Rodgers' best friend. So, you know, there's no way that could backfire there. But that's the thing we have to look at. Dwayne Brown has also been hurt. It's really been signaled that this is the weak link of the team, that this is the part that's been letting people down. HBO, they made a point of talking about it. And it's interesting to kind of point a finger at something and say, if anything goes wrong, this is your fault. So I'm sure we'll see the starting five out there with Aaron Rodgers. We'll see a little bit about that. That's one of the main things that could go wrong with the Jets is not enough protection. The other main thing that could go wrong is that Aaron Rodgers is making all the decisions, and that's not optimal for a football team. Uh, let's stick at the quarterback position, but let's move to the left coast, the San Francisco 49ers. How is this situation going to play out with Brock Purdy and Trey Lance and I guess – Sam Darnold, it seems like there's some real consternation there about this whole thing. And uh, I know that Shanahan's kind of been the golden boy when it comes to how he manages football teams and how he can orchestrate offenses. But this quarterback situation is interesting to me. How do you think it's going to all play out? Pur- Purdy will start. He'll start the season. He will get a very, very long leash as the starter. And, of course, with that offense and that defense, he will not have to do much to keep his job. He just has to stay out of the way of any problems there. Lance. It's pretty clear. We saw Lance last week in the preseason. He almost looked afraid to throw the ball. Whatever it is, the injuries, uh, you know, what, what the situation may have been, he's not comfortable in this offense. It doesn't sound like Kyle Shanahan is comfortable in this offense. You know, for the 49ers, if a guy looks a little covered on a five-yard pass, it's probably Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey. They're probably not really that covered. Flip them the ball and let them do their thing. And Lance is like double clutching and faking and doing all these other things. I don't know if Lance loses it to Sam Darnold for the backup role. I have a funny feeling they'll keep both of them on the roster. Obviously, they needed a bunch of quarterbacks last year, and they'll figure things out as they go. But what's odd is that they're not even trying to showcase Lance to trade him, which right. is what I think some teams would do if they were uncomfortable. That's the level they're at where I think they're looking at him and saying, he's better off as an insurance policy, bring him off the bench to run for yardage if we have an injury, that kind of thing, than he would be as trade bait right now. Where are you on Lance in terms of bust potential, still needs time to get to a level, or maybe that level that the 49ers thought he had may never be there? Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, he, he played real well in 2019 at North Dakota State University. Right. And then his 2020 season was canceled by the COVID. And then they trade up for him, and they bring him in to camp, and then he's sort of like hurt at camp, and then he's hurt you know, during the season. We've never seen this guy. 
Like, everything is sight unseen. Take our word for it. You know, whoever can go out there and watch a North Dakota State versus Wagner game and really evaluate players. You know, most of us can't really do that. We don't know what we're looking at when we're looking at <laughs> FCS-level football. And it's like, yeah, he's big, fast, and can throw hard. We don't really know much. I have a funny feeling the people who said take our word for it, he's worth a third overall pick, uh, we're, we're bluffing a little bit, too, in terms of, how ready this guy was for the NFL, you know, how really his skills would translate. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. This is a guy who probably shouldn't have been taken that high, might not have been taken that high if 2020 was a normal season, might have been like, you know, some late first round, second round developmental pick. And the 49ers are fortunate that Brock Purdy fell in their laps in the seventh round and turned out to be someone who was a better fit for what they want to do. Hey, Mike, I didn't get a chance to ask you this last week, but I do want to ask you, what did you think of the decision in Indianapolis to name Anthony Richardson the starting quarterback? You know, I don't know what they would have really gotten out of throwing Gardner Minshew out there for a bunch of games and letting him do his goofy shovel pass. And, you know, Minshew played this weekend, and, like, his touchdown throw was he stood in the pocket for, like, 10 seconds, and the ball went through the arms of a defender and it landed in his receiver's hands. And, like, how many games of that will we have to do waiting for Anthony Richardson? This way, Shane Steichen and, and, the, and the team out there can build the system around this young man. And I think in the early going, it's going to be read option, read option, RPO, RPO, read option. Right. Uh, a lot of handoffs, a lot of quick screens into the flat just to get this young man comfortable. And I think that might be for the best. This is a team that expects to win now. I don't think Richardson will learn a lot from watching like an improvising guy who can't scramble off the bench. Get this started. <laughs> and hope you have the offensive line to protect him while he's doing these things. So what are the QB decisions that are still out there to be made? I think the Buccaneers are still trying to decide whether they want Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. Mm. And Kyle Trask actually made a couple plays against backups and third stringers in the preseason last week, but I don't understand this. Mayfield looked good in the preseason over. And he's Mayfield. You know, Mayfield at his worst is a former first overall pick who started for three years in, in uh, the Browns, had a couple of situations where it looked like he was going to be a franchise quarterback, got, like, kicked to the curb for Deshaun Watson, you know, which was in a very unusual circumstance. This guy is like a, you know, bottom-tier starting quarterback in the NFL, maybe mid-tier on his best day. Kyle Trask was hanging around the bench for a couple of years. But I don't – I'm looking around here to see if I'm missing one. That seems to be the only one to be determined, although – I guess we should keep an eye on the Patriots because they haven't officially called Mac Jones the starter. He looked pretty bad this week, and Bailey Zappi keeps like uh, you know making plays against the third string that like maybe Bill Belichick does something goofy here to try and prove what a genius he is. We're speaking of Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from the Messenger here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Mike, we have a question in. To the in-basket here, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line, Marcus and Gibsons, and he calls you Mr. T, which is a very clever Woo. nickname. Uh, he I'm, wants not to... doing, I'm not doing I pity the fool. This is his role. Mr. T, he wants to know, uh, with the Jets' tough schedule to start the season, if they're sitting below 500 after, say, around the 10-game mark, is it time to panic? My follow-up question would be, what are realistic expectations for the Jets this season? Uh, now, I, I've talked to Jets insiders and fans and things like that. They're braced for a three-and-three three start because if you look at their schedule, yeah. I don't have it in front of me. It is brutal early, and they want to. They're, they're, you know, they're talking like if it's three-and-three, three, the media is going to panic and people are going to be making fun of Aaron Rodgers. But it gets easier afterwards. I, I'm, I get that. I, I intend to believe that. If they're at like five and five after week ten or you know, after ten games, it kind of is time to panic and. You're right. You're right. You asked the right question. What is the realistic expectations? You know, I, I've 
talk to Jets fans, you know, here in New Jersey who are like, I just want to make the playoffs. So if the Jets fans and the Jets are just happy to make the playoffs, I think that they're in good shape. They should be able to do that. Is that what this is about? Bringing in Aaron Rodgers for millions of dollars and trading away all this capital and bringing in his favorite coach and his favorite players to make the playoffs? You could have made the playoffs with Derek Carr. You know, you could have made the playoffs with Jimmy Garoppolo probably with all the guys you have on defense. This should be about Super Bowl expectations. And if this team is really 5-5 five and five come week 10, they will be pointing fingers at each other. They will be wondering what's going on. And it is time to push the panic button. Hey, Mike, uh, I know you've got to cover, you know, the whole league and you don't have a lot of time for third string quarterbacks, but there's a guy, Nathan Rourke, that played for the BC Lions and now he's with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's made a couple of really nice plays in the preseason, even gotten some attention from the likes of Patrick Mahomes on social media. Um, How do teams typically address the third quarterback? Will they be on... Are they on the roster? Are they on the practice squad? How does it work in the NFL? In the past, it was, well, you have a guy who's the designated third stringer who isn't officially active, um, and they were in this limbo place. Now, they're changing the rule because the 49ers in the playoffs had to go and like throw yeah. Purdy out there when his arm right. was falling off, et cetera. And you can keep three quarterbacks active, and I don't think there's any penalty for that. So that's what's probably going to be happening for a lot of teams. They'll keep three quarterbacks active. If not, it will be a, a practice squad stash. Now, my gut tells me that Rourke, who has played very well, will probably be a practice squad, squad stash, excuse me, it's hard to say, uh, because they don't anticipate Trevor Lawrence suddenly getting hurt, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's making the roster there. I think he is actually pushing C.J. Rourke for a potential backup C.J. Beathard, I should say, for a potential backup role. But uh, it's likely that a lot of teams are going to keep that third quarterback. That's good for them, and it is a potential place where work could be active on some NFL Sundays. So what what should be the goal for a guy like Nathan Work this season? Obviously, you don't want to cheer for your starting quarterback to get hurt. So let's say Trevor Lawrence stays healthy, and he is good. What can Nathan Work do to get noticed, perhaps, by another team? They win your backup job, then be there standing, you know, next to Doug Peterson, press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, in your ear. And if you are sitting the bench for all 17 games, which is very possible when Trevor Lawrence is ahead of you, make make the connections in in the league that recognize you you were named a backup, you were named a backup by coaches people trust, and then you have the opportunity to maybe get the next backup job. You know, you could wind up behind the uh, you want to behind Lawrence for a couple of years if they like you there uh, obviously you're less expensive than bringing in some backup for 10 million dollars you could do that if a guy sticks around long enough as that backup then another team might bring him along to be the backup he could be talked about as a starter of course he's not going to get a starting opportunity unless there's an injury there but you can have a long you could be Chase Daniel and play for a long time in the NFL and make tens of millions of dollars and get some opportunities to start if you establish yourself early as someone that the coaches trust. We're speaking to Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, We mentioned Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis, uh, Bryce Young in Carolina, C.J. Stroud in Houston. Uh, If you had to predict or pick right now, who do you think will have the better rookie campaign? It's going to be Stroud. I'm looking at Bryce Young right now, and he's been on the run a lot. His offensive line hasn't really come together. It's pretty bad. It's 
And it's the, it's the starters that have been out there, and they've been struggling a little bit. If you look at the receiving core, there's a lot of guys whose name you, name you recognize, and then you look at their stats and you realize, oh, this guy's old, this guy's always hurt, et cetera. When you look at uh, Stroud, now I don't really know who his receivers are going to be. The offensive line, they're going to bring the starters in. They have not been playing yet. And those starters are pretty good. He's got Laramie Tunsil at left tackle. He's got Titus Howard at right tackle. That's a strong one-two punch. That's going to keep him upright. I think they might be a little better defensively in Houston. I think the schedule might even be a little easier. And all those things combined to give Stroud a better opportunity as a rookie. Mike, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do it. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Monday. You got it. Take care and enjoy your week back from vacation. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. The Jets' schedule through the first six weeks before they hit their bye in week seven is an absolute buzzsaw. So they open I – mean, it's going to be great viewing. By the way, I think I've mentioned this already, but if you do not like the New York Jets and you don't like Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> Too bad. prepare to be inundated. Because that's what you're getting. So week one, Monday night football against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Huge game. AFC East, divisional rivalry, Rodgers, Allen. That's going to be huge. That's also a really tough game for the Jets, right? Week two – they go to Dallas, America's team. So that's going to be another very hyped, highly publicized game. And it's not going to be an easy one because they got to go to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Then they go New England, Kansas City, at Denver, and then at home against the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. What do you think of this for the first four games for the Seahawks? Home to the Rams. Then they go to Detroit, home for Carolina. Then they go to New York to play the Giants. Sorry, can you repeat that for me? <laughs> home, home against the Rams. Then in week two, they go to Detroit, home to Carolina, and then they go to New York yeah. to play the Giants. Yeah. That could be tougher. You know what I mean? Like yep. that's, that's, you'd like to be, you'd like to be three and one, and you're upset if you're anything worse than two and two for sure. Yeah, that's a pretty fair Detroit's an interesting team this year. Yeah, I'd be very curious to see if – I'm always skeptical when it comes to the Detroit Lions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, last year there was obvious like, growth as a team. I'm kind of cheering for them this season, except against Seattle. I want them to, I want them to have some su- success. I think I called the Philadelphia Eagles the defending Super Bowl champions. Did I say that? I don't I think know. I did. I don't. I don't listen to you. That was probably a mistake. If I did, in the past. if I did say yeah. that, because they didn't. No. Yeah. yeah. Cleveland won. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? First day back, I'm finding out all kinds of things. Anyway, I'm I'm trying this new thing where I just own up to my own mistakes as quickly as possible mm-hmm. without keep, lying. Before we pile on to, and to make keep, fun of you. Yeah. Right? Before before everyone else starts annihilating me for speaking erroneously. That's just me. Like when you said the dead last Red Sox earlier right. in the show? Right, but they were tied for dead last. Now, some will say you can't tie for dead last, mm-hmm. to which I say, want to bet? Uh, I just made it up. Anyway, we'll move along there. Uh, it's going to be nice to have Mike Tanier back uh, for the season. Now, have you looked at the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season? There's a fairly big gap between them. I seem to remember there being less time between the two. So we're going to have... There's going to be an extended period of time where you're just waiting for the NFL to start. Yeah. Because the preseason ends relatively soon. Well, the Seahawks have their last preseason game this Saturday in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. 
That's August 26th, and then they start the season September 10th. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a long gap in between. So but thank God. Like, thank God there aren't as many preseason games. For everyone's sake, really. Yeah. You know? Oh, like, I know. The except pre- I'm sure the guys that, like, are trying to make the team or trying to make an impression and guys like Nathan Rourke. But mm-hmm. still, it was just awful watching some of those games. So on the Rourke thing, by the way, is we're, we've been following this. Actually, we tried to get him on the show this week. But he, he politely declined, said, yeah. no, no, I'm, I'm too busy. Yeah, he's like, I'm trying to make an NFL team. Right, come on, just give us 15 minutes. What are you going to be doing at 7 o'clock in the morning, which is like 10 o'clock your time? Nothing, except trying to make an NFL team. So he's not going to surpass C.J. Beathard as the number two guy. I didn't realize that. I thought he signed in Jacksonville to be the number two guy. Yeah, Doug Peterson basically said C.J.'s our number two. Yeah, which is fair. He's been in the league for a while. Yeah, He's played in a bunch of games. Mm-hmm. I, I think he played for the 49ers a handful of I games think, well. I think what we concluded when he did sign uh, with the Jags was that he would have a legitimate chance to become the backup eventually. But I th- think we were kind of like, yeah, they're probably going to go – and find some veteran quarterback to be. The I just backup. thought he was going to be the number two guy there. I didn't think. That oh, really? He, yeah. Well, because it sounded like he had a variety of suitors, right? In that sort of quasi free agency mm-hmm. period, and then it seemed like the reason he was going there was because obviously he wasn't going to compete for a starting job. So why bother going somewhere where it's open? Like you're going to be a backup. I didn't yeah. realize he's going to be the backup's backup, but this could change. Like you know. It's not an open competition until it becomes an open competition, right? Like, if he continues to play tremendously well, mm-hmm. he'll just be elevated on the depth chart, and then Doug Peterson will say, well, I had no other choice. Like, he well, how, can he, how can he play tremendously well without an opportunity to, you know, play? Oh, I'm saying in the preseason, because they've still got a game left. No, nah, Doug Peterson sounded pretty sure about it. He's like, yeah. CJ's our number two. Yeah, like, that's, it, that's not changing. Yeah, it's... They're it's, still going to give Nathan Rourke the kind of the rookie treatment, right? Like, you're you're a guy from the CFL, you're young. Sure. You're inexperienced. CJ has actually taken snaps in the NFL, mm-hmm. and for real. Like, you haven't. So, I think the key for Nathan Rourke is don't be too impatient. I know a lot of his fans are. We're all impatient, you know? Part of us are like... You know, I don't want a serious injury for Trevor Lawrence, but what about like kind of like a uh, maybe a sprained angle or something? Couple like weeks, that. couple weeks. Sure. Just give give C.J. Beathard a chance to show that he's terrible or get hurt, right? One of the two. Yeah, he could get hurt too, right? But just sprained ankles, here. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but not serious ones, laddies. We're not we're, 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 two we're, minor injuries equals one serious. We're not though. monsters. Yeah, we're not monsters. Can you both not sprain the same ankle? At yeah. The same time. And then you can and then wouldn't it be nice they could rehab together? I mean, hey, we just came Friends. Out, we were just talking about the 49ers quarterback situation. They were down to their third string, fourth string quarterback, right? Christian McCaffrey. Did you hope for that injury too? Or? Well, kind of because I was gambling. Well, yeah, because yeah. I hate the 49ers. Yeah. I don't like the 49ers, and I was gambling. So yeah, I did kind of <laughs> I was hoping for it. Uh, okay, we got a lot more to get to in the final hour of the program. Uh Kevin Woodley, NHL.com and Ingle magazine's gonna <laughs> Hockey talk. What's hockey that? Talk. I know hockey. Okay. Canucks talk, not just hockey talk, uh, on this, the day of uh, August 21st, 2023. Kevin Woodley's going to join us to talk a little Canucks. Uh, Jonathan LaCaramacchi, Mikhail Samuelson, prospects, development, Canucks, all that stuff. It's coming up next on the Halford & Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Can you put on the Canucks game? 